You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Okay, we're in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be reading in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. This is Valentine's Day, and we are thinking about love. And I want to think about the greatest love, the love that God has for us, that agape uh, love. And it's important that you and I remember to talk about, think about uh, the, the love of God. When I was in seminary, I was doing my master's work, and I was up to my eyeballs in theology classes and you know New Testament survey and Old Testament survey and languages and Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology all this all these different church history taking all these classes and there was a a moment when um, I was just thinking about God in a very academic way I, I, I almost sort of kind of dried up a little bit spiritually speaking I was just so busy trying to write papers and take tests, and, and, and I was thinking about God, but it was in a kind of a, a cerebral way, and I don't remember exactly um, uh, where I was, but I remember a song came on the radio, and it was a very simple song about God's love, and it's as if my heart just melted to remind me that that's what it's all about, that God loves us. And we need to celebrate that. And so if you feel a little bit dry in your walk with God, a little bit dry in your spiritual life, uh, the love of God is a topic that can really melt your heart and really warm your heart towards the things of God. So I want to do this. I want to read 1 John 4 and then define what I mean by God's love and then give you seven thoughts about the love of God. Seven thoughts. And it'll take me about two minutes per thought. So it'll be 14 minutes. We'll be done. You don't believe me. Okay, all right. Look in 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, this is John writing, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. You're being like God when you love folks. Whoever loves has been born of God. In other words, loving others is a characteristic of those who have been born again. Whoever loves has been born of God, knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, you can't see God. God is spirit. But when people see the love of God operating in your life, and extending into other people's lives, they are actually seeing God at work. 
right? Which is really incredible if you think about that. And it says there in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God, here it is again, second time he's made this statement, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so skip down to verse uh, 19. John writes, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would draw near to us in these moments. And as we think about your amazing love for us, your amazing love for the world, God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, warm our hearts to the things of God. I pray we leave encouraged and inspired and, uh, Lord, overflowing with a growing praise and adoration for you. Well, thank you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do we mean when we say God's love? I kind of cobbled this definition together from some other sources, but here's how I define God's love. God's love is his affection and compassion or his mercy or some might even say his pity, that he takes pity on our condition. His affection and compassion for undeserving sinners. Now that word affection is important. Because God's love is not just him saying, oh, those poor folks, I better do something to help them out. God's love is the fact that he actually has a fond affection for us. He, he, he actually loves us. We are an object of his delight. So God's love is an affection and compassion for undeserving sinners that moves him to provide salvation for them and to care for them in personal relationship. So that's a, a long definition, but I think it will come into greater focus as we think through these seven thoughts about the love of God, starting here in uh, 1 John. Number one, God's love is seen in that he initiates salvation. God's love is seen in that he initiates salvation. Now here's an amazing thought. All right, This is based upon Acts 2.23, where Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, talks about the, the gospel, the, the plan of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, being a plan that was um, uh, predetermined. It was a plan that was already in place. Uh, and this rescue plan was in place before creation, because over in Revelation, the Bible says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, this plan was so sure in God's heart and mind that it was as if Jesus had already died because it was going to come to pass. So I mean, just think about this for a minute. This will kind of make your head hurt, but just, just think for a, a moment. Before the universe was created, before time existed, before man was created, God knew that we, you and I, in Adam would sin. He knew we would rebel against our Creator. And in His wisdom and in His love, in eternity past, He predetermined a plan so that you and I could receive a free gift of salvation. So in eternity past, God planned for the Son of God, Jesus, to step into history, 
to provide the ultimate sacrifice. The sinless Son of God would suffer sin's penalty of death and be raised from the dead, thus providing a way of salvation. And so this plan to send his son to be a savior for sinners like me was a plan that was already in place. It was a sure thing before the universe ever existed. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had this plan ready to go because God knows everything. He knew what was coming and he had this plan in place. I came across this quote years ago or these thoughts years ago from uh, Kenneth Boa. Listen to what he says about the predetermined plan of God. He said, When God made the trees and all plants on the third day of creation in Genesis 1.11, he knew that a tree would one day be used for the most evil event of history when evil men would crucify the Son of God. And yet, by God's foreknowledge and predetermined plan, this event would occur for the salvation of souls. When God cursed the ground and caused thorns and thistles to grow because of sin, Genesis 3.18, contemplate the fact that God knew that one day thorns would be used to pierce the brow of His Son as He hung on that tree, paying the penalty for our sin. In other words, even as God put the created order into place and dealt with the sin and the fall of Adam and Eve, this plan was a, was a sure thing in the heart and mind of God. And Boaz says, doesn't this all want, uh, all want to make you uh, fall on your knees and worship our creator, praise him and continually thank him for the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? And so we see that God's love was was set into motion before creation ever happened in that God had a plan. And here's another thought about God's love and his initiating work. And this is in your notes. We would never seek God if he didn't draw us first. We would never seek God if he did not draw us first. Now look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. John simply says, We love... Because he first loved us. In other words, his love for us um, comes before our love for him or our love for others. He loved us first. And the Bible says that you and I, humanity, we do not in and of ourselves seek after God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, none seek after God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? None seek after God. Unless God comes and does a work in your heart to draw you so that you begin to seek God. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know about that. So I was nine years old, doing my thing, grew up in church. And one day, all of a sudden, I began to think about my sin. I began to think about eternity. I began to think about my need for a Savior. Was that just Wade figuring things out? No, that was the Holy Spirit of God doing a work in my heart to show me my need for a Savior. And, and Jesus makes this very, very clear over in John 6, 44. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6. He said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No one can come to me, Jesus said, 
unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so if you're in here tonight and you're a born-again Christian, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've called on his name, asked him to come into your life and save you, it's because God loved you first and initiated his work in your life by drawing you, showing you your need for a Savior, allowing you to hear the gospel so that you would call on the name of Jesus. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God draws some and some see their need and they call on Jesus God draws others and they say, no, thank you, not interested. You know, I've been preaching for a long time now, and I'm, I'm just telling you that I, I've, I've been preaching the gospel in different settings, and I've seen people sitting out there, and you can see conviction. It, it's physical. that You can see the conviction all over their life. You know God is speaking to them, and God is convicting their heart and God is drawing them to Jesus and I see him get up and walk out the back door. And they just say, no, or not right now, or that's not for me or whatever. But I, I'm telling you that if God draws some and they respond and call on Jesus, God draws others, they say, no, thank you. But no one can come to God unless God draws them first. And isn't it amazing that God loves you enough to draw you, right? He didn't have to do that. He could just leave us to ourselves. But God loves you so much. He did an individual, specific thing in your heart to draw you to the Savior. And so we see God's love and that he initiated salvation. God accomplished everything necessary to save us, and then he drew us so we'd see our need for a Savior. If you are a Christian, that is your story. Because you can't come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws you. Second, God's love is unconditional. There's nothing we can do to earn it or cause it to cease. Romans 5.8. In Romans 5, Apostle Paul writes that God demonstrates or God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ didn't die for us because we're lovely. Because we add something to God. God doesn't need us. We need him. God sent his son to die for us even though we were sinners in rebellion against him. Read Romans 5. The Bible says before we met Christ, we were enemies of God. Enemies. In rebellion, doing our own thing, keeping him at arm's length, living our life apart from his will and his way. And yet, even though you don't deserve it, even though I don't deserve it, God loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And so that, by definition, is unconditional love. He loves you even though you don't deserve it. Now, here's what that means. If his love is truly unconditional, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. He proved it by sending his son to die. What more could he do? Amen? So you can't make yourself more lovely and, and, and say, God, love me more. I want, I want to be more lovely so you'll show me more love. God can't show you more love than his perfect love he's already shown you. It's unconditional. So there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And here's what it also means that his love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Now, you can grieve God's heart. You can refuse to believe in Jesus. You can reject the Lord. 
But that won't change the fact that he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. So unconditional love means there's nothing we can do to to make him love us anymore. Nothing we can do to make him love us any less. His love is perfect. In Romans 5, it says it is proven, demonstrated at the cross where Jesus died for our sins. So God's love is unconditional. By the way, over in Ephesians 5, husbands, good Valentine's Day verse here. Husbands are commanded to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And we just talked about what his love for the church is. It's unconditional. And so husbands are to seek to love their wives like that. Unconditional love. Pretty easy. Not. God's love is unconditional. Let me give you a third thought about the love of God. God's love is clearly seen in the giving of his son. Look back with me in 1 John chapter 4. We read this earlier, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was shown among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so... Uh, John is making the point that this is what love looks like. God the Father sent his only son to be the propitiation, to, to take the wrath of God in our place, to be the substitute for sinners dying in our place. You see, Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been Offered. No wonder people love John 3.16 so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son, his only unique son. He gave his son for sinners. That is amazing love. Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been offered. And, and don't forget, when he gave his son, when he sent his son, he was sending him ultimately to die. Think about that. Sending him to die. J.I. Packer in his classic work, Knowing God, says this, the measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his only son to become human and to die for sins and so to become the one mediator who can bring us to God. The measure of love is how much it gives. And what more could God give than his only Son, for you and for me, for God so loved the world. How much he gave his one and only son. I like how the hymn says it. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. Listen, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. God's love is clearly seen in the giving of his son. Number four, God's love is the basis for his offer of salvation. Look with me over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4.
Paul writes, after he mentions we're dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves, he writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so uh, Paul makes the point here that it is the love of God that is the impetus for him to provide salvation for sinners who cannot save them. Selves. It's the basis of his offer of salvation. And I love 1 John chapter 3, and I love how the King James says it. You can't beat the way the King James says it. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. Uh, this idea that, that, that we should understand that the, the fact that we are adopted by God is because of his love. God's love is the basis of his offer of salvation. Number five, God's love is unchanging and eternal. So we can have assurance. Now remember Paul and John, the disciples, the apostles, they were teaching about the love of God in the the Roman world. And the Roman world, the Greek world, they had a pantheons of, of, of gods, right? You had your Zeus's and and uh, you know the, you know the different gods in those um, religious systems, and the stories about their gods read like soap operas, right? Soap operas. Um, my early on when I was growing up, my mom used to watch Young and the Restless. Anybody ever watch Young and the Restless? Soap opera. She come home from work and watch it. All right, you know, Young and the Restless. Just a soap opera. Right. And and when you read about the different Greek and Roman gods, it's like a soap opera. You know, they have a moment where they do something noble, then they they're capricious and on a whim, they do something out of anger or spite and they turn their back on those they have relationships with. And it's just it was just a mess. And these are the gods that they worshiped in the Greco-Roman world. And all of a sudden, here come these Christians saying There is a love from God, the one true God, that is not based upon whim, a whim, or or it's not capricious. It is unchanging because the God who loves is unchanging. So God's love being unchanging eternal means we can have assurance. In other words, we don't have to worry about God saying, you know what, I did love you yesterday, but not so much today. In fact, I'm just kind of sick of you. And uh, and Wade, you I mean, you blew it, right? I loved you yesterday, but you blew it. And so I don't love you anymore, right? That's how the, the pantheon of gods treated the humans in um, the mindset of the first century uh, worshipers. But here we have a God whose love is unchanging because he is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he loves you yesterday, he's going to love you today. If he loves you today, he's going to love you tomorrow. If God is loved yesterday, God is going to be loved today. And he's going to be loved tomorrow as well. He does not change. So his love gives us great assurance. Over in Psalm 136, we see repetition. Repetition, where after every statement in the verse, it says, uh, his love endures forever. His love is unchanging. That's why we can take Romans 8 to the bank. Turn over to Romans 8 with me. 
Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. For I am sure... That neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because His love doesn't change. His love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Theologians call that the immutability of God. He does not change. So we can count on His love every day of our lives and have assurance that once we've embraced His love, once we've entered into a relationship with this God who loves us, that relationship will never be broken. We are eternally secure in Christ. Now this is specific because what he says there the last verse this is this is the love of god in christ jesus our lord this is the love that's been received through christ jesus is the only way to receive this unchanging love that will make you eternally secure god's love is unchanging and eternal so we can have assurance so look at me for a second this means that we don't live the Christian life to try to get God to love us, right? That would be miserable because we all fall short in some way, shape, or form. We live the Christian life out of gratitude for the way that he perfectly loves us now. And because he perfectly loves us, we want to show our gratitude and live for him as a, as a loving child lives for his Father, we are adopted by Him. And so our, our security is a really, really big deal. We don't have to wonder if God's love is going to be there when we wake up tomorrow. The Bible says nothing can separate us from His love. It is unchanging and eternal. Number six, God's love is incomprehensible. But we are to try and grasp it. Look over in Ephesians. I mentioned this verse just recently, but let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Anybody remember the... How do you remember that? Gentiles eat pork chops. Okay, all right. Chips, see how many remembered that. Do you remember that? Okay. All right. Yeah, all right. So look in uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knee bef knees before the Father, who from every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul says the love of God in Christ 
surpasses knowledge. We can't wrap, we can't fully wrap our minds and hearts around it. It's it's a big love. We, we can't we can't fully grasp the height and depth and breadth and length of God's love. But we're supposed to grow in our comprehension because it says there. I'm praying for the strength of the inner man that you can know the love of Christ in a greater way. So even though we'll never clearly, uh, completely figure out God's love, we should be growing in our grasp of God's love. Every day, we should have a growing comprehension and appreciation of the love of God. It's incomprehensible, but we are to try and grasp it. I read a story uh, recently about the great English preacher, um, well, he was Welsh, but he preached in England in the middle part of the 1900s. His name was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And um, near the end of his uh, ministry, really just before he died, he heard of a friend, an acquaintance, whose wife was really going through some really dark emotional things and really dealing with some, some depression, as the ancients call it, the, the dark night of the soul. And so he uh, went to go see this friend and his wife, and he spent some time listening and counseling and giving biblical counsel. And he got up to leave, and this was just before he died. It was the last time they would see him. He got up to leave, and um, he was advanced in years at this time. And here's the last thing he said to this lady who was struggling with just deep, deep emotional distress. Three words. Oh, four words. He said, remember the love of God. Remember the love of God. That was his, that was, that, those were his parting words for this lady who was struggling. Remember the love of God. Don't forget that in the midst of what you're going through, you are loved. You are loved by God. Don't let go of that. Grow in your grasp and appreciation for the love of God. Let, let, it, let it amaze you every day. Let it amaze you that God loves you. The God of the universe loves you. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all the bad stuff you've done. And he loves you perfectly. He loves you unconditionally. That fact should amaze you and amaze me. We are to try and grasp it, even though it is incomprehensible. Which leads to number seven, and we'll be through. God's love is for everyone, so we must proclaim it. God's love is for everyone, so we must proclaim it. John 3.16, for God so loved, what? The world. He gave his only begotten son. 1 John 2 talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. And John says, not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. Jesus died for Wade Humphreys, but he died for everybody that lives on the face of this planet. And so I have received the love of God, and I'm grateful for that, but others need to know that God loves them too, right? And it is our great privilege as recipients of the love of God, to be able to go and let other folks know God loves you so much he gave his only son. God's love is for everyone, so we must proclaim it. And because of the glory of the gospel, because 
Jesus died on the cross for our sins because he rose from the grave, because he defeated sin and defeated death. And because he died shedding his blood for the sins of the world, that means I can go anywhere on this planet. I can go to a, a village in the, the, the back part of uh, a nation in Africa. I can go to the back part of Zambia, walk into a village, or I can walk into a mega city like Shanghai. And no matter who I come into contact with, no matter who I meet, I can look them in the eye and say, on the authority of Scripture, God loves you. He proved it when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that privilege of telling a, a person in the bush in Africa or a mega city in China, the privilege saying God loves you is the privilege we get to exercise even in Fort Walton Beach, the Emerald Coast. I don't know who you're you know, rubbing shoulders with every day, but it doesn't matter. Whoever it is, you can look them in the eye and on the authority of Scripture say, God loves you. God loves you. You. It is the great privilege of our lives that we get to tell others that God loves them so much he sent his only son to die in their place. So we must, we must proclaim it. And listen, we are really, really good at this in every other area of life. So when we eat a good meal, we want to tell somebody, don't we? So I'll tell you, let me t let me give you a little what I did this past weekend. So this past weekend, um, Claire found out there was a restaurant over here that went over to um, New Orleans and picked up real king cakes from Gambino's Bakery, the real thing. And 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 she reserved one. I went and got a king cake, and I ate almost all of it by myself. And it was I've tried I've been trying not to eat sugar, and I just lost control. It was bad and. And I ate this king cake. It was great with coffee. And, um, and, and this morning, I went outside, and we'd thrown it away, you know, the box away. And a bear had pulled over my trash can. You know what was there on top of the trash? The box of king. He was after the king cake. And uh, it's, it was delicious. But when I eat something like that that's really good, I want to tell people. I want to tell people, you know, and you do the same thing. You eat a good restaurant, you want to tell somebody about it, right? Your sports team wins, you want to talk about it, tell somebody. We're, we're really good at sharing good news, and it should be natural for you and natural for me to look people in the eyes and say, God loves you. He loves you and offers you salvation. And so let me just go over this very quickly. God's love is seen in that he initiates salvation. God's love is unconditional. There is nothing we can do to earn it or cause it to cease. God's love is clearly seen in the giving of his son. God's love is the basis for his offer of salvation. God's love is unchanging and eternal so we can have assurance. God's love is incomprehensible, but we are to try and grasp it. God's love is for everyone, so we must proclaim it. One more quote, and uh, we'll go into our church conference tonight. This comes, again, from J.I. Packer. He writes... To know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. I shared this last night with my kids. 
And I said, you know what? You don't have to wait to go to heaven to experience heaven. If you know the love of God, you get heaven on earth. There's nothing greater than experiencing his love, right? So to know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.